You're listening to Iron Advocate, the podcast dedicated to you, the trial attorney, sage, visionary, warrior, unfiltered, no holds barred, Iron Advocate. Join Bob Levant, Jeff Rebel, and today's top legal minds on a journey to discover how to kill it in the law without it killing you. Because being the best advocate for others begins with being the best advocate for yourself. Bob, over the years, you and I have spent a great deal of time talking about how to manage clients and about how to represent individuals successfully. And I thought it would be a good idea to talk about that right now, particularly in the COVID period where clients are more than ever under tremendous stress and are acting in ways that make it difficult for lawyers. Agreed. Agreed. So where do you want to jump in? Well, let's talk about the three sort of tenets or pillars that you and I have discussed over the years that, that allow lawyers to best represent folks. What's the first rule in your mind of representation? I would say it's definitely to manage the client's expectations from the moment that you first encounter them. Yeah. Give me an example in reality. What, what does that mean in your world? So, I mean, I think this is with all clients, whether they're individuals or institutions, but, but let's take a look for purposes of this dialogue at the individual client. So frequently, you know, a client will come to see you either because someone they know has used you or knows you, or they've heard something about you that makes them feel that you're the one that's going to deliver victory for them. And so they're coming to you, yes, for representation, but so often they come to you with some sort of a predetermined idea of what what the end of the case is going to look like and what you're going to do for them. Uh, and so in practical reality and, you know, your situation with, you know, with, 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 divorce and custody issues, you know, they'll have an idea that you're coming in because you're the big hammer and every, you know, everybody says, you got to get Jeff Rebel, you know, he's going to do this and, and he's going to be aggressive and, you know, he's going to, uh, you know, he's going to make the other side come to their knees. Uh, that's what they come to you believing. And I'll, so- I'll actually amplify that and say that people come to me, the ones that come to me and say, oh my God, I heard you the absolute best. I got to have you. Those are the ones, you know, are dangerous out of the box because, Oftentimes when people say that to me, it's, it's, they've already engaged in some kind of um, distorted thinking that, that the expectations can't get met. Another one, another example of some, some rough thinking can be when somebody comes to me and says, look, my husband is a really super smart guy. I heard you're super smart. I want you to, I want you to destroy him. I want there to be blood on the courtroom floor. Another example of clients whose expectations that are hard to meet. Love American style. Yep. And I know so, the same thing happens to you. I mean, folks come to you saying, I heard you've won, you've had a hundred jury trials and you won every single one of them. And will you, can you promise you're going to win this for me? Right. Or, or uh, no, it's, that's wrong. It's a million trials I've won. Um, you know, they, you know th- that's what they think. So, right. you know, but let's put it in reality, which is particularly in that first meeting or the early meetings, this is still a business, right? And, and you're trying to get retained. Um, and so, you know, let's talk about in reality kind of how you manage this, stay within your ethical boundaries and still 
figure out how to get paid. And, and, and for me, you know, a lot of that time that can be couched in the reality of the fact you don't really know anything about their case when they come in to see, right. Other than what they're reporting to you. And so I've always found that an early way into managing the client expectations is to couch it like that, which is, you know, in the context of, let's say a criminal case, um, you know, I understand that, that, you know, that's, that's, you know, how this happened to you. That's your perception of the police's behavior. And you may very well have a really great issue on a motion to suppress here. You may have a really great self-defense here, right? But, you know, these cases unfold in a number of ways and, you know, let's jump in, let's get involved, let's get our hands dirty. Let me get the police reports, you know, let's start interviewing the witnesses and you start to couch it you know, where you're bringing the client into a realistic reality as to what will have to unfold as you look at the case, as opposed to, you know, through their lens. So for me, that's always important is to, is to wrap the client into what we're going to have to do, you know, going forward, which is, you know, gather all of the facts before we make, you know, determinations about where we, where we are on the case. So, um, what do you think principle two is? What would be the second tenant? Well, the second tenant's related to the first tenant, and that is to not get unduly pulled down into your client's emotional reality. And, and I'll say this from uh, the context of where I sit now working in, in a, you know, high conflict, high asset divorces. Part of what I say to people, and I tell them this directly, I'll say my job is not to... to be a surrogate for the negative bonding patterns that happen in your in your marriage and to play that out in the divorce. My job is to be your advocate and I'm going to be your advocate 100%. It doesn't mean I'm going to get caught into the same emotional tornado that pulls you down. And I tell them straight up, that's gonna, they're going to have a, a, a whole number of experiences as a litigant in a divorce case because a divorce is a sort of death and they're going to experience it that way. So that's part of the communications and we'll come to that in the next principle. But, but the, the tenet here is to stay in your role as their counsel and not get pulled into the, their emotional reality. So is that something that applies to you in the criminal defense world? You know, well, let me ask you this first, but put a pin in that, you know, you still work for these folks and they are paying you. Um, how, how difficult is it, you know, on a daily basis with a client who, you know, you may say those things, but they're not really hearing them. And it is, I want the custody agreement changed now. I want full legal custody now. I want a restraining order. This email that I just got from my husband, you will not believe what he said. You will not believe that he's got his new girlfriend living in our house. Uh, I want her out of there yesterday. Um, you know, are these the kinds of demands you hear? You work for, you know, you work for the folks that are delivering the demands. How do you really, in practical terms, stop from getting pulled into that reality, which is to some extent, you know, the reality of the litigation as painted by your client. Right. No, it's hard. It's, it's challenging. And part of it is that you have to have a lot of space yourself. And when clients, what I've learned, and it's taken me a while to learn this, when a client demands an answer of me right away, unless I am completely prepared to give it, I say to them, let me think about it. 
let me think about how we can do that. Or let me think about somebody will come to me on almost a daily basis with some novel legal theory. Well, I have a, I talked to um, corporate counsel, you know, at BlackRock and they sent me to such and such a lawyer. And this lawyer told me that, that what, what my husband did was a severe breach of fiduciary duty. And if I said da da da, then we can do da da. I mean, this happens all the time. And Right. In the criminal world, we call that the jailhouse lawyer. So, <laughs> I get, I yeah. guess, I get jailhouse lawyered all the time. I get my friend, right? Different. A hundred thousand dollars a month in spousal support. Why can't I get that? I well, let's. I don't know your friend's circumstances or the facts or matter of case. I can tell you in your case. Anyway, what I what I what I try to do is create some space for myself and I don't respond right away. And I can tell you, this is a practice, whether it's a client, whether it's your child, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a law partner. I mean, it just on and on and on. Take your time when you respond to people, especially people who are really upset. You are going to get pulled into the slipstream of their Michigas, their craziness, if you don't. You cannot move too slowly in, in, you know, in, in these scenarios, I mean, within reality, I but, you know, agree. You, <laughs> I, you know, you asked me about the criminal, you can't, you can't, for me, you know, I just, you know, I, you know, literally and figuratively walk away from the stuff. You know, I, I see the email, I just close it. You know, I make a note that I need to come back to it. I have a legal pad on my desk all the time where I just make lists of, things that I need to do or I need to come back to because I can't remember, you know, shit as well as I used to because my head is so cluttered. So, so I just mark it down. You'll come back to this. So I just leave it. I literally leave the things. I wait to return the calls. Uh, You asked me about the criminal context. I mean, you know, so many people charged with crimes, you know, you know, rightfully from their perspective have been wrong. Something unjust has happened to them. You know, the way they've been accused, the way they were arrested, the way they were handled by the police. And, you know, they want, I mean, they want it fixed now, yesterday. Um, They don't, they don't want an acquittal. They want an apology. And, you know, those around them want the same thing. Um, And, and, you know, you don't want to dismiss the reality, but, you know, trying to find ways to explain to people in that position, how these cases play out in the antiseptic nature of a courtroom. You know how uh, uh, you know an arrest, uh, interactions, you know, by the police, a bar fight. You know how these play out. You know, in the dry courtroom, depending upon what the evidence is, whether there's audio, whether there's video. Um, you know, it it is it is really virtually impossible to help a lay person fully understand. You know how evidence translates in the courtroom, and that's I think the hardest part for me. Is is trying to find ways uh, to to bring the client into what the reality of you know a courtroom and a criminal trial looks like, um, and you know moving slowly, you know moving deliberately, and a lot of times you know even role playing with the client. You know here's kind of how, how this will look. You know when a police officer testifies about it. So, uh, but it's hard. It's hard. So, um, how about how about 10 and three, which is, you know, kind of related and ties together all of this. 10 at three is 
trust. That's the broad category that I would I would use. And in trust, that's communications. Communicating, we all know the number one complaint against lawyers is not returning communications, emails, phone calls. That's one issue. And we have a rule in my office that we almost never break. I hope we almost never break it, but it's to return somebody's phone call or or email within 24 hours. And that's what we strive to do. And given the press of business, it's not always easy. So that's kind of a basic rule. But the other thing is to under-promise and over-deliver. And that, as you pointed out, is hard. I want to know how you do that when, you know, you and I were public defenders together and I would, we would sit and watch private counsel, as we refer to them then, come in and grandstand at preliminary hearings and, you know, start to make arguments as if they're arguing in front of a jury. My client is innocent, Your Honor, and do things that we knew were for business purposes. So there was an art or at least a method to what they were doing. And in criminal, you know, it's a, it's binary. It's winner take all a lot of times. And it's a different, different animal than a family law case. How do you deal with that? How do you under promise and over deliver in that context? Um, you know, the way that I've always done it in the criminal cases is just to keep the client really well informed of what the risk benefit is. You know, the thing about the criminal context is there's, there are certain, you know, there are these black and white areas of what the client's decisions are, right? You know, whether to testify, you know, whether to plead guilty. Um, and, you know, that is sort of a kind of a guiding light in managing the client's expectations, which is, you know, I put it back on them, I mirror them, you know, absolutely that you're absolute right to, you know, throw down and go to trial. But then let me bring it back to, you know, here's what the maximum penalties are. Here's what the sentencing guidelines call for. Um, here are the, you know, complications and the challenges in your case. Um, here's what the offer might be, right? Or here's how I might be able to put on a lesser included defense. You know, it's a, you know, a self-defense case, a serious assault, but there might be a way to, you know, try the case in a way that, you know, the jury sees it as a, as a simple assault. Um Whatever those things are when you're talking to the client about the case, if you bring it back, and, and, and I'm going to throw it to you, whether in a, in a family law situation, there's a way to do the same thing. Um, I, I do it by trying to um, cement the client in the reality of you know, what the scenarios are, including the worst case scenario. If we do what you want, you know, we go to war, great, we might win, this might happen, and you know the worst case scenario was X and here's what they might be you know, offering and what might be in the middle. So um, I think in the criminal context, that's the road, right? That's the road because it keeps you tied to your ethics, you know, which is the decisions that belong to the client ultimately. Um, and it also keeps you grounded in the facts of the case and the very unpredictable nature of a criminal jury trial. So, you know, does that resonate for you? Uh, how, how do you how do you manage that with the? Yeah, it resonates with me. I mean, I think that that criminal clients, criminal law and family law are close cousins. It, you know, the consequences are 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 not nearly as high. You don't have you're not getting stepped back. You're not going to get put in jail. The clients in litigation and family law cases have the same 
sort of feelings that it's their oh listen they're life-changing stakes i mean it's their survival their survival is at stake is how they see it and and they are life-changing so what i try to do is is look this is something that you and i have talked about for years as well i identify the bad facts and as soon as we know bad facts we talk about the bad facts we talk about the bad facts talk about the good facts but i don't ever shy away from the bad facts just like in litigation I bet you, you and I have had this conversation, you know, a dozen times and I've told every lawyer in my office who I mentor that you better identify the bad facts in your case right up front and you better find a way to deal with them. And I do the same thing when I'm speaking to clients about whatever the issues are. So we, we're always having conversations because if you don't do that, the, I've watched enough lawyers get fired or clients be very unhappy because they didn't deal with the negative potential of outcomes. So it's, and it's a fine line because clients come to you because they think you're a winner. They've heard some of the, some friend of theirs sent you, he's the best. You got to get him. He, I saw him crush somebody in trial. I saw him do this. So they don't want to hear you. You have to be able to be positive and at the same time, help them be realistic. If that makes I mean, sense. I think that, no, I mean, I, with it, with, you know, without question to your point, you know, in, in, in another dialogue where we, we, you know, talk about really building uh, a trial, you know, a trial strategy, you know, identifying the worst facts and figuring out a way to embrace them is the number one rule. So with the clients, identifying the bad facts and helping the clients to come to terms with how they fit in the um, analysis of the case is, as you say, a close cousin, right? So from the lawyer perspective, you always start by finding the bad facts, you know, always. And then, and, and we'll talk another time about what to do with them in, in the context of trial, uh, in the context of depositions and things, but, but gosh, such a good point that uh, critically important with the client management too. All right, Bob, since we've talked about this, why don't we try doing a little mock interview? I'm coming to see you a criminal defense lawyer. Coming to see you for the first time. I've heard about you. I'll be Mr. Johnson. So it's our initial interview. Mr. Levant, I have heard that you are the finest criminal defense lawyer in the Northeast. I, I've heard about the, the verdict you got, the, the, the biggest verdict in Pennsylvania history for a, a, somebody I know who was locked up. I've heard everybody I know has your card and your phone number. And I've been told you don't lose. And I got to tell you something. I've got this aggravated assault. And if I lose this, it's a third strike. I won't see my kids. I won't see my kids, my wife. My life is over. So I don't care how much money you charge. I'm going to get it. But I need to know from you. I need you to look me in the eye and tell me you're going to use all that experience and all that fire. Because I heard people are afraid of you too. I need that right now. And I need you to guarantee you're going to do that for me because I can't lose this, Mr. Levant. I cannot lose. Hey, so um, thanks for coming in to see me. And, and I appreciate uh, all those things uh, that folks say. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to working with you. Let me tell you this up front. Uh, if you go out and, and uh, find a lawyer that uh, tells you that uh, they've never lost a trial or they don't lose trials, um, you know, a couple of things are going on. Either you're talking to a lawyer who's who's lying to you just to try to get money out of your pocket, 
or you're talking to a lawyer who's never tried cases. So, you know, if, if you're looking for that lawyer who's going to make you feel good for a few minutes while they're uh, pulling money out of your pocket, um, then I'm not that lawyer. All right. So a um, couple things I can tell you up front. I'm never going to lie to you. And you're not going to find anybody who's going to fight harder for you or give you a better chance of winning, period. All right. That's me. You want somebody who's going to give it to you straight? You know, you, you, you're you looking at spending significant amount of, of the rest of your life in prison if you don't win this case. You know, um, I don't want to go to the cancer doctor and have him tell me everything's fine because uh, he or she doesn't know how to deliver bad news. And I go outside and, you know, drop dead two weeks later. So, Mr. LeVant, wait a second, wait a second. I, I, I Look, that's fine. I hear you. You don't want to guarantee it, but I don't want you to guarantee it, but I want you to guarantee it. Okay. I understand you can't just guarantee it, but I got to know that you know how to win. I got to know that they're going to be afraid of you. I got to know that if I pay you enough money, you're going to do whatever it takes to make sure I'm not getting stepped back. I'm not getting locked up and I'm a third strike. I got to know that. Listen, I'm going to quote you fair fee. It's going to be fair fee for my skill set. Okay. So you're going to get what you pay for. And let me say this to you. I guarantee you, you're not going to find a lawyer who likes to lose any less than me. Okay. I guarantee you. I don't think you're going to find that lawyer. And I guarantee you that you're not going to find a lawyer who's going to fight any harder for you. And you know what? You're going to have trouble finding a lawyer who's been more successful than me. So yeah, you know what? I try to be a humble guy, but you know, I, 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 I kick ass in the courtroom. I've spoken to two other lawyers who told me they thought this was a dead bang winner. I'm just, I'm just telling you, but I came to you. All right. I, I really, how much money would it take you to darn near guarantee you're going to win my trial? How much would that take? The same amount of money that it'll take me to guarantee you that I'm going to stand on my head to win it for you. And I can't promise you what the outcome will be. So there's another question I had for you that I got assigned to judge Brown and, and I've been talking to some lawyers who said they know judge Brown really, really well. And that because of that, they can get a much better result. Can you do that? Can you use your relationships to give me a better result? Can well, I mean, you promise listen, me that? It's a, it's a people business. I, I know judge Brown and I, feel very comfortable going to get a fair trial there. Judge Brown knows what I'm about. I think respects the work I do. Uh, and, and I think, you know, all my relationships around the courthouse, you know, benefit my clients. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, truth be told, your fate's likely to get decided by a jury. And uh, all we can ask for from the judge is a fair trial. And I, I'm very comfortable that you will get a fair trial in front of Judge Brown. Um, but you're looking for a lawyer that knows how to talk to a jury. And, you know, that's what I do. So, but listen, I want you to be comfortable. So, you know, if you talk to these other lawyers and they're guaranteeing you something that, that I just can't guarantee you, you know, you got to make a decision whether or not they're being straight with you, whether they're trying to get your money from you, you know, that's up to you because I only represent folks that want me to represent them. And one of the, one of the lawyers I talked to said, because you're a former public defender, you don't really know what you're doing. This guy was a former prosecutor. You think that's true? Hey, listen, you're going to make your own judgment whether you think I know what I'm doing. So um, I trust you on that. You know, you make the decision that feels right to you. All right, Mr. LeVan. I'm going to think about this a little bit. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Iron Advocate and that you take what you've learned and integrate it into your own personal practice. As always, we leave you with a minute of mindfulness. Breathe in. Breathe out. And we'll see you next time.